0: Three, two, one. Welcome back to the Bushnell Project. John Bushnell here, and let's get back to Genesis 25. This chapter may in fact take us through the summer. I don't know. Let's let's see if I get some episodes done here. As I get ready to travel and be in DC for most of the summer, so let's dig in here. Want to talk a little bit about Isaac and uh, his wife. Rebecca, so let's dive in here to the to the word is as is Isaac's going to start his own um, tablet, if you will. And these are the, so verse nineteen. Uh, nope, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. We got to get these guys. Uh, yeah, yeah, verse nineteen. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Now I'm reading from the King James, so he. Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, his wife, the daughter of Bethol, the Syrian, of Pandan Aram, Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, I want we're going to stop there because it's the King James, and we have to. So let's back up a little bit. Syrian the the syrian here is really where we get the arabic for the arabic or the aramaic for the aramaic language and aram where we get that from was a son was a son of shem right so noah had three sons one of them was shem shem had aram where we get the aram aramaic language and so that's what the King James is referring to. I think in some of the other translations it says that a little bit differently and but it's it's just a more modern translation, if you will, and they missed out on that. So for instance in the ESV, the daughter of Bethel, the Aramian of Panon Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramian, to be his wife. So this Syrian or from the sons of Aram, where we get Ar- uh, Aramaic, the Aramaic language. Sorry about that, guys. So, um, which is why later on, or Isaac can say, "This is my sister," because to a certain degree, they are cousins, and so he can he can kind of sort of say that. Now, um, more of a lie than when Abraham calls Sarah his sister but nonetheless they are related they are cousins. Now let's talk about this verse 21 Isaac entreated or Isaac prayed to the Lord or interceded for his wife and she conceived because it says and the Lord was entreated of him or the Lord res- responded for him, to him. Twenty years, from the time they're married, Isaac is forty until Jacob and Esau are born, which is when Isaac is sixty. Means twenty years have gone by. So for twenty years, Isaac is thinking, "Hey, I'm going to continue what my father has started. He's not having any children. He's not having any children. Nothing is happening." Meanwhile, his dad, who's on his second concubine that we know of, uh, is having more children. And would actually have a boatload more children while Isaac continues to have none. So at some point, Isaac prays. Now we don't know if Isaac was praying for years, or if Isaac waited 19 years and then finally started to pray. But this leads me to a thought that I'm having, anyways, and that is what am I praying for? And am I am I willing to pray? for something that hasn't happened for a long time. For instance, am I still praying for some people that I know that aren't saved, that are still alive? Am I praying for some things that I know would be good and to God's glory as best as I can understand? Am I praying for that? Am I praying for, for instance, in Hebrews 13, it tells us to, to pray for those who are in chains as if we were chained with them. So perse- the persecuted church, am I still praying for the persecuted church? And these, so these, these are things that we should be doing, right? Praying for our leaders, praying for our elders, all those kind of things, elders in the church, those who lead us in the church. So my question to us is, what are you praying for? And is it worthy or worth the wait? Lord, I... Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? That's one of our prayers. Are we willing to wait on God's will? And um, for whose glory is it that will our prayer, if answered the way we want it, who's, for whose glory will it be? So often we pray for ease, we pray for comfort, we pray that our days wouldn't be interrupted we pray but then but then we pray for lord give us opportunity show us what you're doing uh i want to be a part of what you're doing and then our day gets interrupted and we're upset maybe so here's what we got to be careful of be careful what we pray for when jesus is with the disciples and he says you know look at the harvest is white unto um picking The, the, the harvest is white the harvest is ready it's ready i forget the terminology uh, where are the workers and he says pray for the workers and then the next thing he's doing is he's picking the 72 to go out and do what work the harvest so pray for the harvest and pray for the harvesters and then become a harvester basically so care for what you pray for be patient and waiting on god for god's timing ask god for this patience ask god for the grace ask god for his vision for your life your even his vision for your prayer life that he may be glorified in your prayer life and glorified even in your heart and in your soul. And then a truth that I heard a long time ago by a guy named John Piper is recognizing that in my prayer life, the more satisfied I become in God, even in praying, praying God's word and things like that, the more glorified God is, Is the more God is glorified in my life, right? So a good, satisfied Christian is going to glorify God. Now, we live in a day and age where our culture is, oh, if you're a Christian, it's because you you don't do the things you want to do so that you can please God. Meaning, there's things I want to do, but I don't do them for all the wrong reasons. Versus, no, I am doing what I want to do. I'm very satisfied in God, and God has uh, me in a place where I'm filled with His joy. And, I am. My tank is full. My tank is full. My belly is literally full right now. But I am doing the things that I know are are most important and are most eternal. And the things of this world have become strangely dim. I'm not chasing those things anymore because I realize that it's 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 not fruitful. It is it is a waste of my time in, in many cases. So. That is the reality. If, if you're really following hard after God, God's going to change the desires of your heart from the stuff of this world to the stuff of heaven. And C.S. Lewis put it this way, that we need to become so heavenly-minded that we are of some earthly good. And many people have tried to twist that around and say, don't be so heavenly-minded that you're of no earthly good. But the reality is, is if most Christians or people who call themselves Christians have become so earthly-minded that they are literally of no earthly good for eternity. Then in other words, they're not really impacting the world as a Christian, as a Christ follower should. So are we impacting the world by being so heavenly-minded that we keep our eyes on Christ, on the gospel, on the things of God, instead of chasing after the stuff of this world and becoming part of the problem. So Sodom and Gomorrah, let's use that example that we just read about a couple of chapters ago. Lot leaves. There's not a whole lot of people that God finds that are faithful at all other than and Lot was questionable. His two daughters, his future son-in-laws do not leave, and his wife turns back, right? So we, we need to be more earthly, more heavenly minded than Lot was because in Lot's inability to stay focused and heavenly minded, he lost his wife, he lost his daughter's future husbands. And and and, and some could argue that Lot and his daughters weren't all together really great. So let's be heavenly minded so that we can be of some earthly good. Let's be people who pray and let's stay to the task. Let's stay the course. God bless you guys. Have a great, great day.